recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Welcome, Sarah Avery. Hi. To the, to the 3180 Podcast. I'm very excited. I'm very excited that you're here. Yeah. You're you're like our local podcast inspiration. <laughs> Thank you. You're, I don't I don't, I well, don't you, feel very inspiring. Oh, well, you're very inspiring to me and Thomas that would have never engaged in this podcasting thing, so we made you go to Rhino one day and tell us all about how to do a podcast. <laughs> well, and but you guys have really sorted it out on your own. Look, Thomas is over there turning knobs. It's and a slider, technically. <laughs> I, could, I could turn a knob, but then I don't know what would happen. Well, you know, you're, you're sorting it out. It's all an experiment. The thing that no one tells you about making stuff like this is that literally no one knows what they're doing. So. <laughs> I think you guys have figured it out. Thomas, and to be clear here, this, this podcast studio space at Cohab is fantastic. It has everything you need. Yes. But perfectionists, as you are and definitely as Thomas is, that's his soundboard. And he's adjusting the tracker on yes. and the knobs. And it's and a nice soundboard. Like, I'm a little um, – I've got soundboard envy because ours just has uh, two um, inputs, and you've got – you've got five? Yeah, i got five. Okay. Because I don't know how to – when you have two, in order to put a third input in, then you have to cross your third and fourth input together into one, and I don't – that's – it's like going from multiplica- multiplication to <laughs> calculus, where I'm like, oh, wait, wait, now I'm confused. Just give me the thing, give me the things that I know. Yes. I plug them in. I put the levels where I want them. Then I can talk. Well, we should, I mean, given the amount of money that we're making on this podcast, we really ought to hire somebody to do all this stuff so you don't have to worry with it. Probably. Um, and, and then they can figure out how to get four microphones into two, thing, whatever. Yeah. Sounds good. That's, I mean, that seems like a high probability. I bet. What, uh, okay, so you use this space. I do, yes. You and Chris use this space to record all y'all and Stuffed and Busted. I mean, a lot of that stuff is recorded on site, but you guys come in here to do, it's it's highly edited compared to the 3180. <laughs> so, um I wouldn't say highly edited. It's more like Sarah's anal retentive and really, I, I really like to do the things I do as well as I can possibly do them within and, the amount of time I'm allowed. And it, and it shows. And that that's what I picked up on the one time that you and I got to talk at Rhino. Like you, the editing process, I call it editing. I don't know what the proper uh, terminology is, but I don't either. I'm not a professional radio lady. <laughs> but but stuffed and busted. All right, so there's there's a few episodes of stuffed and busted that I know of that I've listened to, and one there, of them, there are only four in existence. Period. Okay, well I've listened to those four, and but we but you and I talked at Rhino, and I could tell immediately that you're one of those people that nothing's going to get produced if it doesn't meet your very high expectations. So yes. tell us what you do behind the scenes when, when, when Chris goes out and eats food at a place or you're out eating food at a place and then it's recorded and then you record some stuff here. What do you well, go do to put those things together? I, and I also want to say, like, this is not um, 
none of the stuff that we do for oil and stuffed and busted is like my thing or Chris's thing. We uh, produce work together. So like I know oftentimes people listen to the podcast and be like, Chris, I love that when you went to eat with Dave Bridges, but what people miss is like I'm there and I'm in that part of the episode too, which is weird. Yeah, you're absolutely there. Um, But the way that production works, it works differently for all y'all and Stuffed and Busted. For Stuffed and Busted, for the four episodes we've done, so I can't say that we have like a real like, this is how we produce an episode, but we do a lot of field recording. So we will meet someone somewhere and have a conversation or do something. And usually what happens is one of us takes the lead in terms of content. So like driving the conversation doing the interview and kind of like making sure we're getting the tape we need and the other person is focused on the technical aspect of like i got to get the microphone in that person's face i need to stand here there's wind we need to move um do i have the right cables oftentimes that technical side probably is me only because you're asking earlier like if we're extroverted or introverted we're both on the introverted side yeah. of the scale, which I think surprises a lot of people. But I would I would argue that um, because I work alone most of the day, like I work I work for myself and I work from home. Um, I I am not the person that's like put me on the microphone. I want to be there. <laughs> but and I, I just think a lot of a lot of Chris's written work. I, I've seen his picture. Maybe in the forum, is that in the SB magazine? Well, Chris's day job requires him to be a public figure in some yeah. ways. Only, yeah. and, and I think only because like the media landscape in Shreveport is pretty, really challenged right now in the sense that um, a lot of these publications don't have a budget for like a full writing team. So what happens is a lot of PR and marketing professionals like Chris and I often end up contributing content. Did you? Did, did he work for the newspaper? Or did both of you work for the newspaper? Neither of us have ever worked for a newspaper. But you've worked, you've done something for the newspaper. Am I, do it, did I misunderstand that? So uh, in our like work that pays the bills, Chris and I are both public relations professionals. And so what public relations professionals do um, is that we facilitate communication either between a brand or an entity or a company and the public, which includes media. Which so, includes going to, that's how you have that sort of working knowledge of the Times or the SB or those are those are the people that you have to interface with to... Yeah. Okay. So and, we're like facilitators for information. Um, and a lot of times, like my, my day job, I do a lot of brand management work. And so that's about looking at the strategic um, way that we outlay communications messages or visual aesthetics to adhere to a certain kind of um, positioning for the company. So, you know, um, reporters get pitched on stories. And so Chris and I both do that professionally. So we talk to a lot of local journalists a lot because we work with local companies. I didn't realize there were a lot of local journalists. There's not. That's a problem, That's why right? people should... Sub- subscribe to the Shreveport Times. <laughs> I, I, it's, I live very near <laughs> the offices of the Shreveport Times, and I pass by their door yeah. at 8 o'clock in the morning, and the lights are not on. So people, and I'm, like I said, I've never worked for a newspaper, but I work really closely with journalists, and people have this misconception that what journalists do is they sit in a room, and they're doing this all day. They're just like... 
I'm writing a story. I'm filing my story and I'm done. They smoke. They smoke cigarettes. And they smoke cigarettes yeah. and they drink coffee. It's yep. basically Dustin Hoffman is there. He's smoking a lot. Yeah. He has that tire from his bicycle. <laughs> it's near his desk, and that's what I know about. Well, Robert Redford comes in at some he point. Does, yeah, he, he does. He does. Like he writes in those felt tip, the sort yeah. of, I like that felt tip marker. He takes his notes in that. But most, I mean, so I work with a lot of national and international journalists on behalf of my clients. And then um, I have a couple cli- clients here locally. And I have a lot of friends who work for the newspaper or for local magazines. But um, the way that uh, news has shifted over the past, like, eight years, I'd say, is that it used to be you had someone who wrote stuff. You used to have a photographer. You'd have a videographer. You'd have an editor. And they all worked together on a story. And more and more, all of those roles are getting condensed down to one person. So the, like, when you go to get the job, it's like you must have an iPhone. Yeah, and sometimes so they can, won't even give you an iPhone right, if you get it's a like job. You, you bring your phone <laughs> and, then, and then you photograph for us with your phone. Yes. And then you write maybe on your phone and you file from your phone. <laughs> like, yeah, I think you're leaning into the future of journalism I'm, right there. Right, It's but that's, so that's sort of, uh, this may not be really where we were originally going with this. But the the when we started to talk about this, when we talked with you and Chris about this, it we were interested in talking to people because we had talked to people and heard a lot of sort of the same, like overlapping conversations about, hey, it seems like a lot of people are down on Shreveport, but they're not. They have critiques, but there are also things that they they feel are working and they're excited about. And some of the, like, that's kind of what we wanted to try to put all those things down where it's like, hey, we've got a record. In, in five years, if somebody wants to look back and listen to yeah. where where we were and where we've been, that's kind of, but again, that's kind of what, that's what the newspaper is supposed to do. But it, now it's much more, You care, a small newspaper will carry AP stories because they're written and that's what you fill the page yeah and 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 that's hard the fact of the matter is that ad revenues are declining subscription revenues are declining and that means consolidation of jobs so especially locally a lot of the journalists i know have to do everything on an article that they they write and i say that in quotation marks Right. right And so what happens is that people then say, well, the quality of journalism in our community is not great. Well, it's because we're producing this certain level of news that just isn't possible with a skeleton staff. So that's why you're not seeing people sitting in a newsroom typing and smoking and drinking coffee. Right. Because they've got to go out and they've got to meet their sources. They've got to go get a photo. Um, And it doesn't make sense to drive back to the office in between the next time that they have to go find a source and get a photo and do an interview in person. Um, so I know a lot of the local journalists, I know they work from home. Yeah. And, and well, it's also, it's, it's difficult. Like when, if you talk to Tiana or somebody who's, yeah. who's working in the, in, they try to go and be in the newsroom and, and just for the like, Hey, what are you, what are you writing? What do you, but then what ends up happening is they start looking at, okay, I filed three stories yesterday and the one, this one got more clicks. So I'm going to focus more mm-hmm. on that kind of thing. And a lot of that locally is it's food. negative it's food. news well it's but it's food like oh, whenever food, i yeah. talk to tiana yeah. she's like oh my god if food. i if i if i <laughs> you know if i go to the courthouse and i file something 10 clicks if yeah. i file something about a new cheeseburger 
400 clicks. So it's, So I think what we need is like cheeseburgers at the courthouse. They have a turkey leg. That's I what heard. the 3180 is really about is coming up with new ideas, like turning the city around with great ideas. Cheeseburgers at the courthouse. The courthouse. They, Could the courthouse sell chicken sandwiches to compete with? Did you not hear Popeye? me just say they have turkey legs? At the, at the courthouse? At the courthouse. In the courthouse? In the courthouse. Oh, yeah, the little cafe thing. Yeah, yeah. Wait, there's there. a cafe in the courthouse? It's like a little, it's it's almost like a news, it's what, it's what a bodega really is, okay. but it's like the closet where, where you can get snacks, and they do have, I don't know how often, but they have turkey legs. And then the Bossier Courthouse. Oh, they've got that little tacos, cafe on the second floor, yeah. Tuesday. Oh, yeah. They're like $1.50. Are they good? They're hard shell. Like I said, they are there. Well, I think that Stuffed and Busted needs to go visit these. I, okay. I, you know, I, I asked. I, I saw a Stuffed and Busted uh, newsletter uh, a couple days ago, and it says at the bottom of the newsletter mm-hmm. to if you'd like to like sponsor sponsor this, and it's fifty dollars. To sponsor it. And, and the newsletter has... Is that has, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the yeah. newsletter has a 100% open rate. I I work with a lot of bigger brands on email marketing. And I have to say, like, if you get, like, a 20% open rate in some industries, you're, like, high-fiving everyone in the room. Right. But but I, I sent a text to the journalist who constructs the newsletter... And I said, may I please sponsor this? Oh, yeah? And I would like to go and eat at the places when you go and eat. And he said, just go eat with me at the places. And and I said, you're doing it all wrong. I'm I'm trying to give you $50 a month up front right here. To sponsor it? Okay. Yeah. So I have, have, I'm going to find, I'm going to make a company. That is going to sponsor. Uh, so I think you may have contacted the wrong person. I will take your money all day long. Thank you. This. Thank you. That's what I'm saying is. But, you know, you, I, you know, I know Chris is like the hot shit. So, like, can nope. I curse? Can nope. I curse? All sure. you want. Oh, so, like, you know, you're going to have to eat tacos with me. You won't get crust. That's fine. Okay. I, I just want somebody to go eat lunch with. Great. That's we're, we're talking Bojo Parish District Court tacos. I'm, like, I will. I'm, I'm, I will. I'm like Mexico tacos, no, no. Parish tacos. I, I, I've eaten. I've eaten a lot of food. And. Uh, in locally I, I grew up here i've eaten in a lot of weird places and the stuffed and busted crew knows more <laughs> strange places to eat really good food and i think that that's a thing that we're missing that people people will say oh well i'm not going to go down to the courthouse to eat a turkey leg and it's like how do you how do you, maybe it's terrible but maybe well, it's great you don't my, know you gotta one go one of my favorite things that we ever did was we took my friend Alex Gold who's a dame, game designer to uh, Golden Corral to eat <laughs> that's a funny episode and frankly <laughs> it was just because like I have a fondness for Golden Corral I grew up in a very 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 small town and Sunday if you were gonna go eat someplace fancy and you were in you were in the income bracket that my parents were in which is very poor Golden Corral was like the stuff and so I started calling Alex. <laughs> you have to listen to the episode. There's a nickname that involves uh, Golden Corral uh, for Alex. But, like, to me, food is about adventure. 
and it's about learning and that can happen anywhere even at the Bossier City Courthouse like and it happens at Golden Corral in the episode like we we had a really great time going eat there yeah it's and I you know supporting local food supporting you know our local farmers is very important I I agree with that and all of the food at Golden Corral is local is what you're saying it is not Sarah A. Bear it's a farm to table concept really that that is a farm to table restaurant Golden Um, Corral in theory you could say anything's a farm to table concept it does go from a farm to a table somewhere, maybe to several other tables was, before it gets to yours. Was that the same episode as when you, you took Bridges to the uh, the Chinese buffet? And we did a tasting menu, yes. I, that was that was a great episode. Uh, we we tried a, to sell that idea to Jason Brady. He was very I heard that. reluctant. He doesn't like the buffet concept. Look, buffets are disgusting. <laughs> And I think we covered that in episode one of Stuff and Busted. They're the grossest way to eat food, period. But back to the original line, if Tiana was to go and write about a buffet versus write about something that was happening at the courthouse, at the the courthouse, courthouse, more people would click click to see about the buffet. And that's maybe that's just the nature of clicking. Like if you're if you're reading a, a publication about legal news locally maybe you don't want to go maybe you you feel like you know what i haven't i have never seen tiana down at the courthouse not saying that she covers that right but i'm saying maybe you think oh they cover this somewhere else i'm not going to read that here but they do go and they cover the golden corral specials and i i want to see i want to spend two minutes reading that i've got to throw this out there i didn't say this to jason brady because i think he'd be offended but I was uh, I was in Bossier Parish District Court all the time for years, like doing public defender work up there. I was always there. The best brisket I have ever had. Hmm. It's not at the courthouse, right across the street at Brookshire's, only on Wednesday. And I haven't had that brisket in years, but that brisket was the, I mean, hands down, any barbecue restaurant, the Brookshire's, and I don't think you can do this at every Brookshire's. I just think it's the one in Benton by the Benton Courthouse. So if you go on Taco Tuesday, I'd, I'd say sneak back up there on Wednesday. Try the Brookshire's brisket. So what you every saying, every you, day a meal in Bozier. Yeah, like there's like a calendar, <laughs> like you tear off the thing right. and it tells you. I I the calendar when I was up when you're in Benton. There's one Mexican restaurant. There's Brookshire's. There's the there's the place uh, inside the courthouse. Yeah, you, there's you map that, it out. that little thing across the street, but that's like a maybe a it's a Subway slash Subway. Pizza Hut. Yeah, they didn't have that back then. That's newer. It's a newer thing, okay. yeah. But anyway, I'll, I'll just say that, yeah, there's the cafe inside the courthouse, but there's also Brookshire's, and they've got fried stuff every day of the week. But I think Wednesday was brisket day. And everybody, probably between the DA's office and the public defender's office, knew that that was the best brisket. People listening to this, please email us <laughs> the best food that you know about that's not in a traditional you don't tell us about Spain. the great restaurant that we all know about. Right. Like, like right. Tell, say, hey, no, I had the turkey leg at the courthouse. That's not the thing to get. The thing to get is ask. Frito pie. The, yeah. Please. ask. You have to tell ask them. It's, it's not on the menu, but you, you tell Sam you want this. He'll make it for you, and it's really great. Whole Stuff and Busted episode sponsored by Thomas. I, yes. It's going to cost more than $50 to sponsor a podcast episode. Okay. Okay. That, like, just, that's a newsletter sponsor. Yeah, that's just newsletter sponsor. Okay, all right. So I was going to say, if you want us to produce... on the podcast episode, and then we'll do the 50 bucks for the... Yeah. Okay. We're in. So you mentioned you're from a small town. Where are you from? 
I am from Abbeville, Louisiana. And how far outside of Lafayette is Abbeville? It's about 20 minutes. Which is southwest? Southwest, yeah, in Vermilion Parish. It's a beautiful um, town modeled after a traditional French town um, with two little squares that are connected by a a drive. And I grew up there. My mom's family is from right outside of Abbeville in Grosseal. And my dad's family is, um, they, (laughs) it's funny, Uh, Kaplan, which is the next town over, but uh, really like my dad's family is from Mulvey and Gaydon. It's like Mm -hmm. right outside of Kaplan. So I grew up, when my parents were together, I grew up in Abbeville. And then uh, later after they divorced, I moved in with my dad when I was a teenager. And literally I grew up as a teenager in the middle of a rice field. So. Was he in Abbeville or was he in Gaydon? He was in Gaydon. That's all rice fields. That's all rice fields. And I think really good duck hunting and a few other things down there. Yep. So what brought you to Shreveport? College. You came to Centenary? I did. I came to Centenary in 2002 and uh, did my schoolwork there and then moved to Denver for a while. And then this guy I had been dating for a long time asked me if I would consider moving back to get married. And I ended up back in Shreveport. <laughs> and that guy's Chris. <laughs> so you guys moved back to uh, Shreveport from Denver. How many oh, years ago? Oh, Sarah moved back from Denver to Shreveport. Oh. Chris did not follow me anywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is funny because he asked my dad to marry me. And my dad said, um, and, and my dad has a real heavy Cajun accent. He said, you're going to have to follow her wherever she goes. So, but they, they love one another. So he didn't live in Denver? No. Oh, you moved to Denver. Yes. Okay. I did my uh, graduate uh, studies there. Well, cool. And so you moved back uh, for the Spring Hill boy. Yeah. Spring Hill, right? Yes. Okay. What What were you? What did you? What is your degree? Oh, I have a master's degree in digital media studies, and then my undergraduate degree is in art and new media communications. All of that to say, I I know how to make stuff with a computer, mm-hmm. and I wrote a, a very long thesis that was entirely too long. No one told me that it was the length of a, a PhD dissertation. So. So you just published that. I published that like 10 years ago. I'm okay. a lot older than I think a lot of people think of me as. 26. No. But it's not that old. No. Good um, job. <laughs> but so you, you, we've spoken about this before. You wanted to be a computer. I wanted. You wanted to study computer science. I sure did. But you did not because someone suggested otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad, we were talking about this before we started recording. My dad is a mechanic and my mom works for the school board. And, um, I have always been an artist. I hate that term, uh, which just me- means like I, I could draw real good. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for a lot of people, I think they see their children in dichotomies. Like you can only be this or you can only be that. And so I don't think at the time in the world people saw, um, computer science is a creative field. I think now people realize like creativity and art- artistry and computer science all go hand in hand. But um, like my visual basic professor was like, no, Sarah, like you should go study art. <laughs> so that's what I ended up doing. So do you draw now? Uh, actually, no. I can't tell you the last time I sat down and draw drew anything. I, I draw when I attend lectures or I go like, see uh, people talk. You're like doodling. Yeah. It's like a doodle plus. Yeah, but like um, 
I mean, there's different kinds of definitions of drawing. I mean, part of the services I offer my clients is I do design work for them, which means like um, if if we're creating like a brand identity, I often end up drawing something for them. Which is your your natural aptitude according to life. Growing up, people were like, oh, you're really good at this. Yeah. Don't not do this because you're really good at it. Yeah. Yeah, but I was, like, super into, like, um, like I was learning about object-oriented programming and, like, got really excited about things I could make. And um, I got to take one, like, 3D programming course when I was at the Louisiana school. It was awesome, but it was, like, me and, like, six guys who were all, like, super tight bros. Mm -hmm. And I think the professor kind of fell into that sort of thing and, and didn't, like, give me a lot of encouragement to pursue that, which is what I really wish I had done was pursue 3d stuff did you go to high school louisiana school i did oh wow so so did chris yeah uh it's a two-year school oh i didn't know i thought that you could do a four-year high school there um it may be different now but um i'm old enough that it was just two years okay so after your sophomore year you you are able to test that so did you guys meet in at louisiana school no we didn't we we met at centenary through the radio station we actually never went to school together but we both went to the same schools so Chris did a, a community radio program on KSCL, which I was the station manager of, um, and we met that way. Was he had a radio program that I liked? He was one of the only people doing like an interesting show, um, and like as you guys know, like I really like people who do like the high standard, like go above and beyond thing. And I was like, wow, you actually have a concept for your show, and like you like research music that you're gonna play. Like, tell me more. <laughs> You guys are the the dynamic between the two of you really comes out at stuffed and busted and at the all y'all shows. I mean, you, you, you're an excellent team together, and you can oh, tell thanks. that you enjoy your you enjoy the co working relationship. Yeah, I think our relationship has always been based around the fact that we both create stuff. So, like, you know, I was really broke as a college student, and I needed art supplies so badly. And uh, Chris and I had just started dating, and so he bought me a bunch of stuff that I needed to finish my senior show. Um, and helped me build some stuff that I, I needed to do because there were some interactive components to it. But then, like, you know, I helped Chris make the artwork for his first um, album with the Pillage People, which was a, a rap group that he was in when we first got together. And so our relationship's always built on the fact that, like, um, making culture is important rather than just consuming it. And so it's just been that way since we've been together for, I don't know, I think it's 15 years now. I feel really bad that I don't know that. <laughs> We'll check with we'll check with other people. I, I hope he doesn't like, listen to this because he's going to give me a lot of grief. Yeah, well, maybe that's you know. So, what what does your clientele look like? You are you an independent contractor for a lot of these folks that, or do you work for a company that services uh, the clients that you reference? Um, I work in a couple different ways. Um, my big thing is that I really value my freedom and flexibility to kind of work in the way that I want. And so there are clients that are not a good fit for that. And then there are clients that are a good fit. Um, they're, they're, what kind of fields are they in? Where they, where they find you and reach out to you and then use your services? Yeah, so all of my clients come through relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do advertising and I don't do a lot of outreach um, because I've never had to. Um, the the company, which is really just me, is built on my reputation. So I work with um, a couple of creators in animation and virtual reality. Um, I work with a couple of local small businesses, um, like Real Barbecue, The Little Shop of Music. Um, 
Liz Swain at the DDA was actually, you know, so I put myself through college doing gig work. I did everything from painting porches to designing logos, making websites. Um, I modeled for drawing classes. Um, but my, one of my first, like, real, like, clients that sought me out was Liz Swain. And um, I did a bunch of design work for a motorcycle clothing brand that she was starting. And so today I still work with her, oddly enough, like, you know, decades later. Um, So I work with the DDA and um, I do a lot of design work for the um, North Louisiana Economic Partnership. Um, A lot of that has just come out of relationship building over the past couple years in the sense of um, I've been really involved in the community in various ways. Um, and, you know, you meet people and you show them that you're passionate about what you do and they believe in you and they hire you to do something important. So Yeah, I, I saw a Facebook post that you did and I, I didn't, I mean, your, your, your talents are far reaching here, but you, um, you do stuff for filmmakers and I, I don't even know what any of this stuff is that you listed, but it was a Facebook post from oh. last week and it you know you can do their log line synopsis credits director statement director producer bio that sort of stuff so you work with filmmaker clients as well yeah so um when moonbot studios was open and operating in shreveport it was the marketing director there um and in that process you know we produced i would lose count but at least 10 animated short films um and then within the studio there were those artists were were on their off time producing their own films and so um i was in charge of uh, marketing which includes like going to film festivals and getting your films seen by people um and i knew nothing about the festival circuit when i started working there i was just like yeah film festivals cool you get to show your movies but there's a fine art <laughs> to like entering into festivals and like like basically marketing your film to festival curators mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I do now. I do less of it than I ever have, mostly because um, filmmakers don't have budgets to hire a publicist or to hire someone to market their film. Um, and I can't blame them. Like, the cost of filmmaking are obviously much lower than they were, say, like 20 years ago. But, um, you know, like, when was the last time you guys paid for a short film? I mean, have you ever made one? I've been paid no, when, to make them. When I, was the oh, last I, time you paid money f- to see, no, to see a short, short film? film? Other than the film fest that rolls around every well, year. Well, and you're, you're not paying for the film. You're paying right. for the festival. Right. Right. Exactly. So I, I don't uh, – and then but, the Robinson will show shorts. They'll show the Oscar shorts. Yep. So the only time I've ever paid money to see a short film probably is when I pay money at the Robinson to watch the shorts. Yeah. Before the Oscars. So short films just they don't make money, right? So like there's not like an economy around them to hire professionals to work on them. The short film is traditionally a stepping it's a calling card for hey, I can do this on a short form. I would like to take it make it bigger or th- these are my talents. And exactly. That, that's what please, Sling Blade please, was. Please I mean, come. Yes. That's one that everybody's seen. It's yeah. a short film first and then I guess he got enough money to make the longer form. Right. Mm-hmm. But but that's very uh, it's a very academic uh, yeah. explanation and what I believe the you, the we I know this because we talked about this yesterday Sarah and I did but that post was specifically for people like hey these it's like when you're making a film as a producer you may or may not know what your distribution requirements are and that's basically a list of 
here's the things that you should have prepared so that if someone does come to you and say, hey, we're not going to pay you for your film, but we'd like to put it on our channel. We'd like to put it in our film festival. Yeah. We'd like to. And when we put it on our film festival or on our channel or yeah. on our whatever in our book, we need these all things, the, all the bios things. and all that, because we have, again, we're not making a Limited lot of money bandwidth, yeah. doing this. So if you could please just provide us with this stuff, like, yes, we could take your film, we could sit down and we could pull stills from it. But if you can just go ahead and do that and highlight the things that you think are very, the very best, please do that because a, we don't have to, we've seen your short. We think it's good. We don't have time to watch it 15 to 20 times to really pull out like, oh, I, I see how this. And maybe we'll watch it once. Right. Yeah. But but the the amount of things that is in that it's a list, long list, it's a long list. But if you think about it from the producer's standpoint, it's like, hey, while I'm making the film, I can think about, hey, guys, can we let's talk about this how we're photographing this. This might be a thing that we could really highlight. It's got all three actors in it. That would be a good still a photo still. to have. Yeah. Um, and hey, director, write me a bio. Like it's, you know, take Or the, hey, take, we're hiring someone to write a bio for you because you should never write your 15, own bio. <laughs> but, 15, but if you take 15 minutes to yeah. say like, here's hey, what I've done. Here's my here's background. The, uh, I went here to school, made yeah. this movie, won this award. Right. Yeah. And that's all the things that if you can just compile all that stuff, it goes in and Sarah ends up working, for instance, for a film festival. She doesn't have to track down each film and say, yeah, yeah. OK, um, so I see that you have two stills here, but I don't know anything about anyone else. Can you please provide me with all these things? That's just an email that doesn't have to go out. It's like, hey, guys, just make this part of what you do. To, to give your film, to, like, yes, you're going to provide your film in whatever format they ask it for it. What's the, what's the, um, like screener format or? Well, the, the, how you, now a lot of times for film festivals, you, you, you submit those things via. Oh, like Film Freeway. So without yeah. a box, actually, without shutting, a box. shuttering its doors next month, which I think will make it even harder for independent filmmakers to get their, their films. Right. Seen. Which was a, uh, basically a portal where they would say, hey, Put all these things in, and then uh, we'll tell you what the total amount is to to submit to Sundance, Slamdance, you know, yeah, yeah, all these film festivals. And then that way you can kind of pick and choose, like, okay, well, my budget for submissions is two hundred dollars, so I only can do these three, you know, and and these are the three that make sense for me, and they're right. part of a strategic plan to get in front of this audience or whatever. Right. Yeah, those right. tools make it because a lot easier. Because both basically you're 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 planning to make a much larger project. That gotcha. that's the well, and we're in the Hollywood of the South, correct? As, as we know, yes. and we have a huge audience of filmmakers here on this podcast. <laughs> um, based on my analytics, I yeah, mean, at least. Five when you get six. those analytics in, it's like, yeah. here's their profession. It's all filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we have that audience, but we're real proud of it. And we want to cultivate that. Yeah. So, like, but you you can do, you can perform these services for them at, for a fee. Yes. You know, it's funny. People have been asking, have been saying, like, people should hire Sarah to do this. I, I the last thing I want to do is people pay me to do this work. Um, mostly because, like, I my plate is full. I'm actually trying to figure out how do I make more time and, uh, do more work um but like you know i i think 
that that post came out of some frustration because I am working on a festival right now and I'm on the other side of where I usually am asking people like where is your synopsis where is your trailer trying to get that information I mean I in film school I didn't go to film school I don't I don't think they tell you this stuff I don't think they tell you like here's here's how to, here's the stuff you need after you're done with the movie <laughs> I've, been to, which I've is, been to a school like that before uh, which yeah. is literally like literally it's the most important thing like I, I went to film school here's what they told you make movies wow this is Alfred Hitchcock he's a genius and then you're like oh my god I didn't ever realize that he is a genius now I've watched all of that film and then it's like when I was in film school we were still like cutting like making a film getting with a razor yes getting a test print and then literally cutting that film splicing it together putting (laughs) it on a you know on a flatbed you know sound was a whole like we were recording and then printing it to the negative and two years after I got out of school was basically like we are never doing that again like you know and nobody's even like you know Tarantino doesn't even sit with his his steen back and like like he doesn't do that (laughs) he cuts you know everything he's probably not even cutting it he's got someone that he's pointing to that's actually pushing the buttons yeah (laughs) R.I.P. Sally Um, he did he had the same editor for a very long time and Mm -hmm. she was a genius and she died Unexpectedly, it's very sad. Look it up, Sally Minky. Yeah, good person. Um, anyway. So anyway, um, mostly what that post came out of was um, it breaks my heart when I see a filmmaker work so hard on a film, and maybe it doesn't get into the festival that they're targeting for whatever reason, or maybe like they're just happy that they finished it, and then no one gets to see it. Yeah. Um, mostly because like I think most people create stuff for other people to listen to like this podcast or to see or to have people react to the thing that they made I mean it's why I make a podcast and it's why I do a lot of the work I do is that I want to have a real genuine connection with another person and ultimately if no one sees that beyond just a small audience at a single festival or like just your friends on YouTube like that's cool but why not go even further and like just make your press kit and like submit to a ton of festivals, you know, send it to publications, yeah. you know, connect with other filmmakers. Go ahead and check all the boxes, put yeah. it in a package and yeah. then get it to get it to people who, you know, just because the first festival didn't let you in. Yeah. And one yeah. one of the other things I have done a lot of is working with creators on submitting their work for awards. Um, and so I have a couple clients that like I'm on retainer and basically all I do all year for them is I'm like, this award is coming up. It's time to submit for the Emmys. It's time to submit for the Oscars. It's time to blah, blah, blah. And like make sure that they get submitted in time and that in the amazing time that they're nominated, they maximize that nomination period as well. Um, and it's so funny to me that like some of the most talented local filmmakers I know have never even submitted for some of these awards that I'm just like, you could win this. Like you, you could win an Emmy. Like why aren't you submitting for it? And it's simply because those systems are out of reach for a lot of people and they felt out of reach when I started working in the film industry and in, in, in and around distribution. But literally like it's a phone call and it's like a visit to a website and you fill out paperwork and you spend a bunch of money sometimes. <laughs> it was, was Moonbot, not, you said Moonbot or Millennium? Which, I worked at Moonbot, yeah. Moonbot. Was that your first foray into uh, 
film. Into the, into the film? Um, I worked on a lot of independent films as a student and helped a lot of other filmmakers. Like um, I shot stills on a couple of short films. Um, I worked on like writing press releases. And while, while you were in college? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I, the program I was in as an undergrad was like communications, but I was just like, I'm gonna learn how to make everything. I'm gonna learn how to make movies. I'm gonna learn how to make graphics. I'm gonna learn how to make photographs. I'm gonna learn everything I can because school is very expensive and I didn't get a lot of scholarships. And so every day that I showed up into, into class, I thought to myself, I'm paying this person to make me as good as I am, at the best I can be basically. Um, which led to a lot of arguments with professors when I felt like there wasn't like an exacting standard <laughs> in the classroom. Um, so like when my friends were like, I'm going to make a movie this weekend, I was like, what do you need? Like, I'll show up with water. Like, do you need me to hold a microphone? Like, what? Like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, and I just continued doing that. Uh, you know, literally, I didn't help anyone make a movie this year. Uh, did I? No, no, I didn't. Well, your plate's pretty full. Yeah, a little you've got, bit. You've got a lot going on. Um, yeah. What do you... So you're helping all these other people with these creative outlets. On occasion, yeah. But no, yeah. but I mean, that's your... Yeah, yeah. That's, your that's, how, I, that's I mean, how I make work, money. You know, to, yeah. me, to me, a business is a creative outlet to some degree. You, yeah. you, you create a business, whether... I mean, even if it's a, a shoe shop yeah. or if you're manufacturing shoelaces. I mean, you have to... There is a, a creation story behind every business where somebody had a job and they were like, hey, I think I've got this thing I want to do. And mm -hmm. then they go do it. And there's all the stuff you have to do. Yes. And there's all these boxes you have to check from a legal standpoint, an accounting standpoint. And I guess in the, in the creative process for a creative project, there's all this stuff that I didn't know about that was in that Facebook post. Yeah. But your, your passion is creative projects, but it's also in the creation of your own. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, what all y'all started before Stuffed and Busted, obviously. So what was the genesis of the um, of the all y'all storytelling events that you and Chris put on? Um, I had gotten – this is uh, – this is a long time ago. I had just suddenly gotten to meet all these cool people in Shreveport and, like, was just showing up to different events and introducing to myself myself to anybody that would shake my hand. And I, as a result, just got to have these really profound conversations with a lot of fascinating people. Um, and at the same time, you know, Chris was also starting to meet a lot of chefs and people that were in the food industry that he was just like, there is a story here. Um, he was working at the Robinson Film Center and I was working as um, a digital strategist at a Williams Creative Group. And we were just like, we have to do something that maybe like brings these people together in some way. Um, and as, as anyone who started a business will know, like sometimes it happens in the dumbest ways, but I was like, we should call it all y'all. And so I just went, I, like, I, you know, I, I started my career doing graphic design and building websites. So like the first thing was like, I'm just going to get this domain name, yeah. allyallblog.com. And it, it sat there for like three or four years while I went on and like did other things with my career and like just got really busy. And one day, Chris and I found ourselves with a little extra money out of our budget. It was about $500. And I looked at him and I was like, we could go on vacation or we could do something really cool. We could make some cool stuff. What do you want to do? And of course, the answer in our household is always like, let's make cool stuff. And um, we are big fans of the Moth podcast. And 
we thought it would be cool if the moth came here maybe we could do that and then like I typically do I say like bleep that we're gonna do it instead of like waiting for someone else to do it (laughs) so we rented a Fairfield Studios Dana McCommon like rented us the studio for like nothing and we just told people to show up and we talked to like seven of our friends and said will you come tell this story from your life in front of people and they were like okay um (laughs) and somehow it worked and then we did 16 of them (laughs) you've done 16 yeah this uh, september 28th we'll be doing our 16th one Hmm. and that was five years ago so we just hit our five-year anniversary congratulations all y'all thank you i've only been to two that um i've been to one at the remington and then one uh, more recently uh on yuri at the what used to be this oh at Maurice's Maurice's or RSVP is what now it's, called it's called now RSVP they have a throne and that was a blast thank you yeah that was an absolute blast I'm so glad my name didn't get called oh so that was uh, that <laughs> were was you a gonna wild. tell a story or nominate someone I would well actually um I just met my new friend Ben Mintz that night at Key Mexico mm-hmm. and talked him into coming too and so we were sitting back in the back having beers and and he goes man if if they call my name, I got some stories. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's I, like, like we have a wish list of people that we want to tell a story one day, and he's on it. So I'm sitting next to him, and I've I've got a couple, but th- I mean, I just knew that he was itching. Like, so if, you know, had <laughs> had my name been called, I would have definitely. I can't even say throw him under the bus. I mean, I would have yeah. put him on the on the stage where he wanted to be. But everybody got up there and and told a story that held held everyone's attention, not just my attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of funny ones, a couple of sad ones, some, you know, some uh, heart-wrenching ones, I guess. But, uh, I mean, like, snow cones I've known. Like, Chris Brown, I Chris love him. Brown, yeah, I, I mean, actually, I literally think that's going to be the the next Stuffed and Busted podcast episode whenever we get some time to, to produce one. Because Chris Brown, we did the math yesterday. And we have been friends with Chris Brown for 17 years. He said he lived with the J-Bears. Yep. He lived with us. Actually, he sent me a bunch of pictures of us all living in the same house, and it was just, it took me way back. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't have the digital photos and iPhones and all back when I was in college. (laughs) So um, you've done, this will be, you said 16 in September. So tell us about the one that's coming up in September. So the one in September, um, so every All Y'all event has a theme, and the theme for this one is going through it. Um, Because we're interested in talking to people who have been through an incredibly difficult situation, whether that's like you were put in a a corner, or um, particularly we're interested in people who have dealt with mental illness. over the past year or two, Chris and I have had a lot of family, and, and this is the way a lot of themes happen. We've had a lot of family issues around mental illness, and we've had a lot of friends who have had to deal with some stuff that's just really heavy. Um, and we also think that discussions about mental illness in this society are really strange. They're pretty abstract and or they're deeply personal and so my hope is that night that we do something that's in between that we do something that's tangible that ties it to i think a conversation that we need to have nationally around what what does it mean to have good mental health um and so uh that night is also our annual fintu award um <laughs> the fintu award was named by my really dear friend patrick long who passed away um from als a couple years ago 
And um, at the time, Patrick had lost his voice because the way ALS um, progresses is that you you lose different capabilities of your body. For some pre- people, it starts with their voice or it starts with uh, their inability to, to hold things. And uh, for Patrick, it was a, a combination of those. For a while, I used to like joke with Patrick that he was drunk because <laughs> he had this like slur. But um, at the time that I asked him to name the award, he couldn't talk. And so our, our entire conversations happened over text message. So we'd have these long text message chats. And he texted me, um, you'd be right that I wouldn't want to call it the Trump grant. Ha ha ha, right? But he said, what about the Fidentu award? It's Shreveportese for fixin' to. Yep. And he said, I want you to give it to someone that's about to do something really good. And so that's that's our mandate, very clearly from Patrick, is that uh, we give the money from one event a year to a local organization, individual, doesn't have to be a nonprofit, that is making an impact in some way that we feel like um, would, would be a fire starter for our community. And so last year we gave um, the Fin2 Award to the MLK Health Center. Um, because my mom um, does not make a whole lot of money and uh, she had to be hospitalized um, for a brief period of time and uh, let me tell you health care is really expensive <laughs> and luckily you know we were in a position to help pay for those bills but I thought to myself what about people who don't have family members to bail them out like what do, what do they do like who, who is doing this work and that brought us to MLK and we did a tour there and I just was blown away by the work that they were doing and it is literally the definition of what Patrick wanted us to do with this award was to spark someone to be able to live a better life MLK takes care of the folks in the gap, those without health insurance. They make too much money to qualify for government-assisted medical care, and they they don't make enough money or don't have health insurance uh, through a private enterprise like Blue Cross or Aetna. Yeah, so they're in between, like, Medicare and, like, getting the kind of health insurance that I have as a self-insured person. Private insurance versus Medicaid uh, for uh, folks with sufficiently low income. So, And they've got a pharmacy in there, and uh, Janet Mentesine is the – the director of the operation, Jordan Rings PR over there, mm-hmm. but they do a, a phenomenal work. Yeah, yeah. So they were our award recipient last year, and then the year before that, I'm not going to be able to get it right in order, but uh, we've we've given the Fin2 Award to the Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse, the Rinsey Center for Education and Art. Um, we have given it to the Stuffed Shrimp Festival. Actually, that's who we gave it to last year. I'm okay. sorry. At this point, it's just like the past five years are a blur. Um, but for example, you're, like the Stuff Shrimp yeah. Festival is not, you know, I think they may be a nonprofit now, but when we gave them the money, we like, it's not about like a tax write off. It was more just like, this is a cultural phenomenon that has not been celebrated for so long. Why is that? Maybe this money can help do that um, to help start a festival to celebrate Stuff Shrimp. And uh, I have to say, it was my favorite festival I've been to in a long time. <laughs> So that's the Fin2 Award, and uh, what I was going to oh for those who don't know, the All Y'all it usually it usually starts with a theme, and it's a storytelling mm-hmm. event at a different venue, and you guys work with the storytellers to craft the best way to tell their story. Yeah. Over the way. So, however, the one that I most recently <laughs> went to is a wild card, yes. where you write your name down when you walk in, and your name could get pulled out of a hat, and then but as well done as one of the uh, more polished curated ones that I've been to as, as, as well done as those stories were my favorite the wing taxi 
Oh, Haunted by Chicken Wings. Wing Taxi was amazing. Chris Chris Lewis Wilson. He's one of my favorite people in the world because great story. He just he has this ability to turn a circumstance into a life lesson, and like not every storyteller has that at that um, that sort of like projection onto their lives. I mean, what happens a lot when we meet with potential storytellers is that they have an interesting anecdote about their life. And Chris and I work somewhere in between like a therapist and an editor because a lot of people don't understand why that experience was impactful on them. Um, And so I've learned a lot about um, how do you get people to think critically about things that they find interesting about themselves? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also how does that apply to like what what am I taking away from their story that other people need right. to hear? It's the connection that makes the story. Yeah, and the connection with the audience. But I found that I found that the wild card stories were exceptionally impactful as well and very well told. Those yeah. are probably the stories that have always been in your head that you you pull out when you need to. And and there, that, that was a, that was a great event. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, um, you know, we tell people like whatever is the story that you pull out at a party that you tell to people that you've just met, like that's what you should say at Wild Card. And I'm so grateful my name isn't in the hat because I have no idea what I would say. <laughs> yeah. I, uh. Do you know who you would nominate? Um, you know, it'd have to be someone who's always at all y'all, and it would probably be uh, Deb. Um, Deb, who owns the Enchanted Garden, has, I think, been to literally every single All Y'all. And when I see that kind of dedication, I think to myself, that person has something inside them that needs to be shared. Mm. So the next All Y'all, she'll be telling a story? You know, you just kind of sparked that inside of me that I need to talk to her. There you go. It's <laughs> That's what we do here. 28th, September 28th. And do you have a venue yet? Yeah, so we'll be at the LSUS University Center. The cool thing is that they are partnering with us on this event. So normally we spend hundreds of dollars running a venue and getting insurance and all this stuff. They've partnered with us so that we can bring those costs down significantly. Oh, wow. um, and we'll be able to donate even more money as part of the Fit2 Award. So it's just... Uh, you know, it's amazing to me when organizations step up to to give us a home to do this. Because, like, Chris and I are not in the income bracket where we're, like, buying a building <laughs> or anything like that. And part of, part of the reason why we move around so much is that we really want all y'all to encourage people to explore parts of the city and places that they may not traditionally go to. Oh, that's my coffee. Can you edit that out, Thomas? Sure, yeah. I have I a high did. standard here. I already, I already have. <laughs> you won't hear that. Wait, I bet. Wait. Well, I, I like the idea of ex- doing different venues. It, it mixes it up. It, and you, Maurice's was kind of, oh, I don't know about that. I've been in that bar before. Yeah. And you walk yeah. in, and the way you guys had it laid out, set up, it was just like the perfect intimate event venue for that night. Thank and you. I, well, I, it's not. <laughs> I spent most of that day, like, frantically, like, pulling my hair out, yeah. putting chairs down, and, like, throwing cables around just trying to make everything work it's like this like trapeze act of like how do we get all these chairs in and this cable's broken and like that day our recorder broke and but by the time the event rolls around we're just always like everything just fell into place perfectly like how does that work i don't know well it did fell into place well i i, I think i caught chris that morning at, at whisk I was in the middle of my second whisket when he came in, I think. <laughs> but uh, and he he said, "Yeah, we got the event tonight." So it looked like you guys were about to spend a day full of work. Mm-hmm. 
So how did Stuffed and Busted come about? Um, oh, real quick. Buy tickets to September 28th on allyallblog.com. Yep, allyallblog.com slash tickets, or there's a big button on our homepage that you can click on and buy tickets. All Y'all has a Facebook page. and Yeah, and an so. Instagram and a Twitter account. We're on SoundCloud. and It's a podcast, by the way. It's a podcast oh, that yeah. you can listen to. Podcast listener. <laughs> Well, thousands of our listeners who film movies might not have time to listen Right, to because they're so busy making movies. They make a lot of film. Yeah. Um, we're big in Hollywood. Uh, Stuffed and Busted. Tell yeah. me about that. I, I've, I've had a blast listening to those episodes. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I think a lot of that came out of, I, as we have discussed, have a, I like to do things very well. I like to learn how to produce and make things at a really high level. And um, one thing that I had gotten into at that time was like making like good, good sounding audio, like just making it sound as good as I could. Um, I had spent some time talking to uh, Thomas Walsh, who's a producer at WWNO, and my friend Jesse Hardman, who's a freelance NPR, uh, PRI type journalist, uh, radio journalist and um, had learned a lot about the equipment and the process that we were using. And I was like, I'm ready to do something that's like like This American Life, but for Shreveport. (laughs) Um, And Chris was like, you know, there's all this food stuff that I can't write about normally. He just really wants to eat good food. That's his thing, right? um, (laughs) I mean, I... No. I know. I know. I'm just, I, I think it, for Chris, like, food is the, the entryway to people. I think about... And you can hear that. You can hear that in the interviews on the, on the podcast. And I can hear that in his writing, too. Yeah. And I will say, like, our relationship is built around food in the sense that, like, I come from a Cajun family that is... I'm not embarrassed to say the the best cooks, period. Like, I don't know how we don't have a restaurant tour in the A-Bear family. And maybe we do. I mean, it's like so many A-Bears in so little time. Um, but, you know, like our relationship has really been built around, like, let's eat delicious food at gas stations and in little holes in the wall in South Louisiana while we're visiting your family. And I remember one of the first times that Chris spent time with my family we uh, had a big uh, cookout, like my my dad and my stepmom used to do when she was alive, and he. I just remember him taking a bite of the uh, crawfish etouffee that she made, and I think that was the moment that he was like, "This is my family." Um, but I think it's really about like meals that facilitate great conversations for both of us, and that that's really what Stuffed and Busted was an excuse to do was to like I, we want to learn how to do this really well produced thing, but we also want to connect with people and talk about food in the way that friends talk about it every day, not in this sort of like rah rah promotional way that I think Chris often has to in his day job. Yeah. Um. So it filled a need for both of us, and um. You know, so we just started collecting audio whenever we would go out with friends, just thinking about, like, what what could we record that would sound okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really learned how to use um, the Tascam DR40 that we use for field recording, like, while we were, like, running out and eating dinners with people. Um, and <laughs> the thing that made it real to, like, make a podcast about food was we hired Nate Tremay, who's, like, literally, like, probably really, like, a third of all y'all he does a lot of our live music at shows he helps me with like uh, recording and engineering the live recordings at all y'all we were like can we give you a little bit of money to make us like a show theme song like in some components and he was like yes but he was like i want you guys to record yourself saying the name of the show 
And so, you know, when you say stuffed and busted or you say the name of something over and over for about three minutes, it gives it power that it must be in existence. And so, like, we sent that over to Nate. He sent that music. And I just listened to it. And I looked at Chris. And I was like, this is real. We're, we're making another podcast. <laughs> um, and that, you know, and, and that was fun. And it, it's led to a lot of really great conversations. I mean, I've learned a bunch about farming because we do a segment called Ask a Dang Farmer. Um, where we just get to ask really stupid questions of farmers. Um, you went out to Evans, like yeah. someone, yeah. Yeah, actually, Evans, someone that I really wish had his own podcast because I think he looks at issues around food and society and culture and economics in a way that not a lot of people do here locally. Um, that all of this stuff is like really tightly intertwined, and if we don't pay attention to it, we lose a connection to culture and to people and the place where our food comes from, and that's dangerous. That's really scary. Well, the the stuffed and busted episode that that got me on the kick was when Jason Brady was in here, and we were talking about buffets. Yeah. And <laughs> Thomas told Jason that he he's doing the buffet all wrong. He needs to go to a Chinese buffet and tr- turn it into these fancy tasting menus that go on at all these events around town and all these fancy dinners that you go to in Shreveport now. It's like the, all the new rage, these little small plate dinners. And you get 10 courses of small stuff. And um, the, uh, a Bella Fresca chef. Uh, Dave Bridges. Dave who, Bridges. Who, like, independently of Bella Fresca is, is extraordinarily accomplished. Yeah. I think he is the personal chef for the Illuminati. Oh, okay. Um, so, Yeah. Well, he takes you guys on the most amazing tour of a Chinese buffet. Which one did you go to? Uh, we went to, I don't even know the name of it. Uh, it's out there on Yuri Drive by Sam's. What is it called, y'all? We say sumo? it in the episode. The sumo? Maybe. Yeah. I hate that I don't know the name of it. Yes. I mean, it's not a particularly fancy or interesting buffet. Yeah. It's enormous. Um, but I like I like the style. Like the first, you go up there and you get the sauces, and you go back to the table and you taste the sauces, and then you go back. And the the way he leads you through it, it's very funny, it's very engaging. But then it really makes you think about how much food there is on offer at a buffet and how to appreciate it differently. So that m- kind of merges into another really funny Golden Corral buffet yeah. deal. And there's another one in there. Gosh, you're I, asking me about an episode I yeah. think we produced like three years ago. I so, hate to say it, so, but like my memory is terrible. But that'll get you hooked on the show. And then the Lucky Palace episode, if you're a Lucky Palace fan. I, th- I think it started with the when they went to eat the uh, crab legs. Oh, with oh, Chris's dad. Chris's yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Chris and, and Chris's dad him. and I have a real love affair with crab. Mm-hmm. And like I think in the, in the moment that I was describing with Chris's like connection with my family and crawfish etouffee i think i had that moment with chris's dad when we ate crabs together because like you know i grew up like catching and cooking crabs and like that was what we did for summer fun and so i sat down with chris's dad and just destroyed a crab in front of him (laughs) in like five minutes and he was like he knows a casino crab buffet (laughs) he was like what did you just do (laughs) and i was like this is my people (laughs) and so at the end so you you Another, the the well produced episodes of, of Stuffed and Busted, they're they're not they're like an hour long, let's say, but there's different segments that happen throughout. Yeah. They're, they're well edited, they're well produced, and then at the end, you and Chris, and this is where you can really hear the connection shine through, is um, you talk about what you're stuffed on, which is what you really like, yep, and what you busted on, which it might offend a few people in Treeport, but some of the stuff that mm-hmm. is the most popular stuff in the world, if you yeah, I'm read not, the right Treeport yeah. magazines or whatever, you're like, no, I am busted <laughs> on that. Or I'm busted on the, yeah. So, yeah. so 
was did wanting to do did wanting to talk about that lead to stuff in busted or did wanting to explore different you know smaller places that people didn't know about or having the conversation that bring people what brought about the stuff in busted i think it was really just like we want to go have fun eating food i mean like what you hear on the tape is what like when chris and i get to have our date night where we go out and we eat someplace that's yeah, what it is it's, it sounds fun it comes fun it comes through as fun uh, on the audio yeah and i think also the stuffed and busted portion where we talk about what we like and what we don't like in the food scene that came about accidentally only because i was like it'd be nice if this was an hour long or if it was like 45 minutes long it'd be cool to produce something that long and um, people had told us before, like, why don't y'all just talk on the podcast? And, like, even though, like, that's literally what we're doing right now. This is not, like, a criticism of you guys. I'm just, like, I hate podcasts where people just talk. <laughs> I, like, I'm just, like, why? Like, you know, I'm already, like, looking at my watch and thinking, like, we've been sitting here for however long. Like, I'm not that interesting. Um, but that was an easy way to, like, get a bunch of audio into the podcast was just to sit and talk. No, but it's cool, though. Like, you in I guess in a typical marriage fashion, one, he doesn't like anchovies. Oh God, no! And you love him, and you talk about the Johnny sweep the kitchen pizza, yeah. and he says one anchovy flavors the entire pizza the wrong way. It's and, growing on him though. He, yeah. I've cooked several things where I have like after he's Snuck eaten them, in. I've been like anchovies, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, like Will they're really just like umami bombs. Like, will he eat a Caesar salad like a real Caesar salad? Yeah, but like. I, I doubt he's going to listen to this. I don't think he really knows that anchovies are in Caesar salad. Like, my niece, like, dropped that bomb on him, like, yeah. two weeks ago, and he was like, whatever. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I get, I, I get why some people might not want to eat an anchovy in the middle of the day, but they're kind of delicious. Like, on, I think he should know. eat them all the time. They're a highly sustainable fish. They're a really great so- source of protein. Like, I'm a big believer, and, like, I'm – this is – I'm a big believer in like um, like small fish, like anchovies, and I'm also a big believer in insect protein. Mm-hmm. Like those are sustainable, renewable sources of protein that don't produce a lot of like greenhouse gases. We should all be eating more of them. <laughs> Get your crickets at Key Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if you could send a text message to everybody in Shreveport, what would it say? Come to all y'all September 28th. If you, what about that? <laughs> Can I follow that up with something else? Well, on that, September that I 29th, guess you know, th- <laughs> thank you for coming to all y'all, all y'all. All right. What, uh, who's my next podcast guest? I gave Thomas a list of like 12 people. And I, true. I'm trying to remember who all was on the list, but um, I knew you were going to ask this when I was driving over and I was thinking about like who would really excite me. Um, Gabriel Balderas, um, I think is one of the people I have the most fun talking to about um, cultural change. Um, I know that he's a chef, but I think he sees food as a, a platform for cultural change, just like um, I do. And then also uh, I was thinking about Hardette Harris, who just opened her new restaurant this week, um, mostly because I suspected we were going to talk about food today. But um also, uh, I bumped into Cedric Glover at a meeting earlier this week, um, who's now state rep. I don't think he represents me where I live, but I need to look that up now I'm saying that. Um, and it reminded me of, like, we were we were one another's, like, Twitter buds for a long time. 
And I always felt like I had a good connection with him, even though I was just a very normal plebeian Shreve border. And um, I think he's very intelligent. I think he's got a lot of insight on kind of where we are as a state. I'd love to hear him on the podcast. If we're talking about like, how can we make this place better? I think he's got a lot of expertise and experience. Well, I think you're making the place better. I think Chris is making the place better. I think having all y'all storytelling events is making the place better. <laughs> Thank you. Exploring everything under the sun with Stuffed and Busted. I mean, I, I really like the four episodes that you've come out with. Thanks. So what, uh, in your mind, whether it's in your field or another field, what else could make Shreveport better? Good question. Um, you know, so uh, we're on hiatus with the with the storytelling part of all y'all, but um, this Sunday we'll start a five episode season of a new project that I'm working on called Exit Interviews, um, and this is where I talk to people who have just moved out of the region or the state, um, just about like why that happened and what like the same kind of exit interview you would have at a job we have about the city and consistently what everyone says is that there needs to be more economic opportunity um and so gosh if i could snap my fingers right now and i if there was something i could help i'd like a company that would just employ 50 people overnight and then like the next day another company that would employ 50 people overnight um and actually that might be a great guest for your podcast i'd like someone who has created a company who employs at least 50 people to come talk about how they did that. Excellent. I'm sure we can, uh, we can facilitate that. We can figure that out. Because consistently for everyone, and all of these people that I've talked to have had jobs, it's just they all see the connection that there is not economic opportunity for everyone in our city. You know, there's a big gap between haves and have nots in the city and and the only way we're ever going to close that is to just have more jobs and more economic opportunity for people well awesome where can people find you and where can they reach out to you all y'all blog.com <laughs> um i'm sarah togo on twitter i um i actively do not use facebook sarah togo sarah toga oh sarah toga yeah yes. okay um I, I actively try to not use facebook for various reasons uh I just think it's like a toxic mosh pit of despair. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like wake up in the morning and log on Facebook and just see all the terrible things in the world. Um, versus like I have like a pretty curated uh, Twitter timeline. So um, yeah, I'm my phone number is even on the All Y'all website. You can give me a phone call. Let's have a real human conversation. Over over fantastic food. Yeah, or really great coffee. Well, let's... Um I can't remember what episode it was, but I, uh, I heard a request, <laughs> and it might have been a Chris request, but you guys liked a particular product that's made locally or sold locally, so I, I got you. I got to know what it is now. Well, you got to open it up. I'm going to open it next to the microphone for, for sound atmosphere. <gasps> oh, this is a crystal request, but these are adorable. These are uh, Sweet Tea um, Bon Folk. Uh, snow cone socks and I think he asked for the snow cone socks and I and I thought about uh, Chris's story the uh, snow cones I've Chris known. Brown yeah. yeah snow cones I have known yes thank you well this that's a pair so of thoughtful. socks for uh, for you and if you happen to re-gift them to Chris <laughs> I, I, I won't hold it against you <laughs> thank you that's very thoughtful well great to talk to you today yeah and, uh, great work with the podcast gentlemen thank you so much thanks for the encouragement well, I'm yeah. Thanks for teaching us. 
I, I, I taught you jack all. No, no. That's, <laughs> we didn't know. We, we were like, we think this is kind of how to do it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, just go do it. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. You could have taken that conversation in a different direction and said, guys, do not do a podcast. Dude, it's just, a, it's so hard. It's so many, there's so much editing involved. Yeah. And we might not have done it. But we, then we realize we really don't have to edit them. We just record and then just publish. Yeah, them. just put them out there. Just do it. Yeah, it's better just, than nothing. Doing, doing something is doing better than doing nothing. Doing the best we can do, and hopefully we're getting better as we go. Yeah. Cool. And look, I talked directly into the microphone. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate thing. that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think this is the second episode in a row where we haven't said the thing, so we're moving forward here. We're, we're growing. Thank you for being on the podcast. You're welcome. What is the thing? We'll tell you later. Okay.